We're journeying in the month of June through the Father Heart of God, and it's my privilege this morning to bring to you um, the topic of Show Us the Father. We're going to pick it up in John 14, actually verse 7. Jesus is speaking, and he said, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, oh truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me. Because I live, you shall live also. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. It's the word of God. Amen. Oops. Hello. It's not on. There we go. I've got a pretty good echo going on up here, Lair. For the first I don't even want to say the number. (laughs) For a very long time I spent most of my life trying to find my face. And my mom was a single mom, and I didn't realize that I was fatherless because everyone that was around me was fatherless as well. My best friend, who was my cousin, was fatherless. My playmate down the street was fatherless. My Several of my friends that I was at daycare with, they were fatherless. So I, I never understood that metric of mother and father. It was, it was, that was normal. I didn't understand that I, I was missing a father. And it wasn't until... Um, you know, we, well, we came to Idaho when I was young, and all of a sudden, I realized my face doesn't belong to the faces of my very tall, very blonde, very blue-eyed family. 
and I remember being about seven, eight years old, and I began to start looking for my face in the context of my family. I'm dark-haired, I have green eyes, my chin is square. I couldn't quite find my face. My mom married a beautiful man when I was nine years old, and we built a life together, and he ended up adopting me, but then again, I was still trying to find my face because I wasn't a a West or a Weddell. I really wasn't a Cooper because now I was adopted. And so I tried desperately to fit in, but yet my face was different than all of the Cooper's faces. You know, they're very um, Dutch. My mom told me a story um, when I was in that inquiring stage of my life, and I began to ask the questions of who's my father. Well, she wove quite the tale. He was a um, Hispanic man who was a musician who would sing and you know he had all this other children he had all this other family and he just didn't have room in his life for me um, but he would he had wooed her heart and romanced her and so I began to you know look for my face in the Hispanic community and I tried desperately to find my face and in my 30s I tried to search and tried to find my biological family to no avail couldn't find them anywhere, and it was it was to the point where it was driving me mad because it was just this part of me that said you belong to something bigger than this, and I kept trying to look and I couldn't find it. So I finally gave up. I just gave up. And on April 23rd, um, so after, so I lost my mom and dad in 2015. Um, and just crazy. We were moving him from McCall to here to get him out of the 5,000-foot elevation. We bought him a little house. My dad ended up pneumonia, having pneumonia, and he slipped away. And six months later, my mom went in for a routine check, and she slipped into a coma, and she passed away. So I lost both of my parents in a very short amount of time. I ended up bringing all of their belongings up to my house because my mom and dad were jewelry makers, and I thought, you know, all that stuff living in town and, you know, the chances of it, becoming broken into with nobody there. I'm just going to bring all of this stuff. And so I brought all the photo albums and I brought all of the treasures and I brought all of the things that, you know, that were sentimental and meant something. And I shoved them into our closet and, and uh, thought, you know, I'll, I'll have time. I'll go through those things and I'll sort them and give them out to the, to the other siblings. And there'll be time for that. And then in 2000 and it's April 23rd, 2017, we lost our house to a fire. And everything, everything was gone. And so I buried them twice in a sense. I lost anything that would remind me of them. So again, even if I wanted to try to find a face, I couldn't find a face because it was gone. It was in a fire. And so I was in Home Depot with my husband at that point in time, and we were trying to get our water back on because, you know, if you have water, right, you can survive. And so we were going to try to get the well working and we're in Home Depot. And I had, my daughter had convinced me that after we had lost mom and dad, because she says, you know, I want you to try again. They've advanced their, their ways of discovering and finding people. I want you to spit in this cup. We're going to send it off. I'm paying for it. We're going to give it one more shot. And I thought, whatever. And so I did. Standing in Home Depot, my daughter calls me. She's like, mom, I think we have found you. And I was like, yeah. what? And that began a journey. And on June, I posted, if anybody follows me on, on Facebook, so my, my um, anniversary of finding my siblings is June 5th, so we just kind of came out of that. And I got to meet my sister for the first time. And 
began to realize, oh my goodness, we have journeyed, our lives have paralleled in crazy ways. We live very closely to each other. Um, but the craziest thing was that I began to find my face. There's my siblings. This is at Luke's wedding. And so I have a brother and I have these beautiful sisters. I actually, there's another sister. Um, her name was Susie Tanya. And when I showed up with my family, they started bawling because I looked so much like Susie. And they just wept because she had died um, previously. And uh, all of a sudden, I would look around and I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is my family. That is my grandma. I found, and there's my face. It's like, oh, well, there I am because my mom's mom was very blonde and that age, and that my biological father is in the middle, and that's him as a little one. And if you were to see Luke as a little guy, that's Luke's face right there, and that's the two of us together. Lo and behold, there's my face. I never was able to meet my biological father; he passed before I um, found them. But this cry um, that is in that that Philip was saying, this this heart of Philip is very deep. It was this, um, where do I come from? Cry. You know, it wasn't just a well. We want to see God. It was that that core question of where do I come from? Where am I going? Right. Who, where? Who am I? It's that. It's indicative to the nature of man. Where did I come from? Who am I? And where am I going? Multi-billion dollar industry trying to discover the answers to these questions. So Father, so Philip's cry, show us the Father, was this ancient old cry. And I love that the very first question in the Old Testament, God says to Adam, where are you? Location question. But it wasn't a location question like, I can't see you and I don't know where you are. It was a location question of you're not where you're supposed to be, which is right before my face, communing with me. Why aren't you Why aren't you communing with me? Why aren't you right before my face? One of the very first questions of the New Testament, these two disciples, are, they see Jesus walking, and they're like, Jesus looks around and he goes, what do you want? Do you realize that's the first question? Our Savior says, what do you want? What do you want? And their answer to that question was, where are you dwelling? Where are you dwelling? And Jesus said, ah, come and see. First question, first invitation. You know, it's about the Father's house. There is room for us. He will never turn you away. When you want to know where are you, he will say to you, come and see. It is the great invitation in the heart of God is come and see. So I didn't get bulletins out, but if you want to take jot some notes down, this is the first question. With whom am I dwelling? was visiting with some of the girls, and, and I said, you know, there's a difference between living and dwelling. You know, I have lived with a lot of people in my life that I have not dwelt with. There is a difference. To dwell means you are intimately connected with those around you. You know them. You know their hearts. You've walked in sorrow. You've walked in joy. You know more than just their first and their last name. You know the motivations of their heart. You, you dwell with them. Scripture tells us to know those who labor among you. That's, a, that's an invitation to dwell with one another. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There's promises in Scripture that are given to us 
for those of us who dwell. You know, we want to live with God and get all of the dwelling promises. That don't work. Can't shack up. Okay? We want to live with God and get all the dwelling promises. No, God says, I, I have a lot that I want to pour into your life, but you must abide in me. Because he's a jealous God. He's not going to share you. You know, and he's not casual in his affections towards you. He is intentional and purposeful in his love for you. And so it's not come and come and just hang out with me. No, come and dwell with me. So the first question this morning is, with whom am I dwelling? I want you to think about that in the context of your relationship with, with the Father. Are you dwelling with me? But also in the context of, of those around you. Are we just living together in our lives? Or are we dwelling with people intently? So I want to talk about four ways that we can um, see the face of the Father. There are many ways, but I want to focus on four specific ways. The very first way is that God is in his creation. Yeah. Job, the oldest book in the Bible, says this, Job 12. He says, but ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the heaven, and they will tell you. Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. Daphne, there's your scripture. Where's the Daphne? Oh, there you are. There you go. There you go. Daphne shared at Bible study on Wednesday that, that she was asking the Lord, Lord, I want to see you in a unique way. I want to see you more intently. And she'd been walking by this bush multiple times, and all of a sudden she stopped and she looked into it. And she noticed the beauty and the uniqueness and the difference, and she just felt God's invitation to, to see him in that way. And so a bush was speaking to Daphne a little bit. So here's your scripture, right? Um, or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you, Daphne. And the fish of the sea, Larry, there's yours. Um, and they will declare it to you. Who among these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Without speech or language, without a sound to be heard, their voice has gone out into all of the earth. Their voice has gone out into all of the earth and their words to the end of the world. Romans, for ever since the world was created, this is Romans 1.20, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Do you realize that the creation will stand as a witness against mankind because they are without excuse? Everything will show forth the face of the Father and has been and will and will stand as a witness against us. It says, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. You see, his nature is in the things that he has created. We should be able to look at his creation and discern the nature and the character of God. William Branham tells this amazing story of this little boy that he encountered on one of his trips. And, and this little boy had gone to his Sunday school teacher and says, can you see God? And his Sunday school teacher says, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know you need to ask you know, the pastor. 
And so he goes to his pastor, and the little boy says, can you see God? And he says, well, what did your mother say? <laughs> I think that's funny. Well, mom said to ask you. And my Sunday school teacher, she said to ask you. And he says, oh, no. He says, no man can see God. And then the boy was crushed. He was just absolutely crushed. Well, there was an old man. Um, I don't remember his name, but there was this old man that was, was an outfitter guide, and he loved to fish. And he loved to bring the little boys and girls on, in the church on fishing trips and, and adventures. And they were out, and they were fishing on the river, and all of a sudden the big storm had come up. And the little boy was watching the man, and he was rowing, and he was rowing to get to a, an alcove to get you know in and out of the storm. And, and they got tucked in, and pretty soon the little boy notices that the, the man is just weeping. The tears are just flowing down his face. And he, and he looks at the man, and, and he looks around, and he's, the man's just looking up at the sky, and he's just weeping. And so the little boy says, Sir, everybody tells me that I can't see God, but what do you say? Can you see God? And the man just weeps, and he says, oh, son, I see God every day. And he pointed him over his shoulder, and, and as the rain had stopped, there was this beautiful rainbow that had come over, over the earth. And he says, that is the, is the faithfulness of God, and that is his promise to us. And he says, everywhere you look, son, is God, and you can find him in everything. He is very, very real. And if you think about it, you know, those of you that are horse people, you know, God has equipped a horse with such instinct. You could be out there riding, you think it's a great day, and all of a sudden the horse like wants to turn to the barn, and you're like, what's up with this, you know? And lo and behold, here comes a storm that you didn't see, you didn't smell, you didn't hear, but the horse did. You see, God gave that horse the instinct to escape for danger. How much more has he made a way for us to escape the wrath to come? If he is so kind in his creation, to give them the instinct to get out of out of situations that could cause harm. How much more? You see, we can see the nature of God in the way that, that an animal will respond. How about earthquakes? How many of you have read those stories where um, the animals warned days before an earthquake would come because they fled from the walls or they, they fled from the cities that they got out from underneath it? They know to escape the wrath to come. They will stand as a witness against us because we did not know to escape from the wrath to come because God has made a way. You see, we can look at that and we can see the nature of God. Or how about migration? You know, God has made a way. How many times in the scripture says, can you clothe yourself like a lily? He says, if I take care of all of this, will I not take care of you? The Lord uses these examples of nature to talk about his nature to us. If I can clothe the lily, I can dress you. If I feed the sparrows, I can care for you. If I do this, and so we walk around so often not attentive to find the face of God because we're not looking for him when he's right in front of us. Right in front of us. God is in his creation. Can you make a tree? Can you make a tree? You can propagate a tree. You can plant a seed. Can you make a tree? No. God has done this. He's sure he is the one that is in all of it. We can't change the moon's path. We can't change the sun. What does that tell us about God? That he has fixed time and that he is never, he's never delayed. His timing is perfect. If he's given us the example of seasons, he said, these are my seasons. These are my times. Then we can trust him because he's never late and they're perfect and they show up when they're supposed to. So we can even look at the seasons and say, this shows me God and his faithfulness to me. Amen? 
So God is definitely in his creation. So my second question to you, where have I seen the face of God in creation? Think about that. Where have you seen the face of God in creation? What is it saying to you? How is he speaking to you? What attribute of his nature is he wanting to share with you? The second way that we can see the face of God is in his word. And we know that his word, the word that has been given to us, yes, he is in there. But I want to look at it in a different perspective. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living. Okay, do we agree that this is the Bible? Okay, for the word of God is living. So when you look at your scripture, you need to understand. It is more than just black and white ink or colored ink upon a page. There is an essence to this that is living and it is God. The word of God is living. The word of God is powerful. And it says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Can you see your soul? Can you see your soul? Can you see your spirit? The word of God does. And it pierces through it. To the, to, to the very marrow, it says, um, it, the joints in the marrow. And it, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God actually discerns you. When was the last time you opened up your Bible for devotion time and you invited what you were reading to actually examine you? It is a new way of engaging with the word of God that will take your devotional life to a whole new level if you took this literally, that you were actually encountering God and you could ask of the word, discern me, try me, test me. What are the motivations of my heart? What am I really thinking? What, are, what is my intent? And the word of God promises to do that to us. It will discern us. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. There is no question mark over the word of God. It's, been, it's settled. So when you go to that, you need to realize when the promises are being spoken to you from the word of God, it's done. It's settled. You don't have to second guess. It's, it's settled. It's sure. He's not up there scratching this thing. Well, maybe I need to change my mind about that. Or maybe I'm not sure if I really want to bless Chris that way. No, it's, it's settled, Chris. When he says it, he means it. Done. So you can, you can take confidence in that. John 17, 17. I love John 17. The high priestly prayer, right? Jesus prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Is that not the age-old question, what is truth? I mean, we watched a documentary the other day that it was all about, well, whose truth? You know, you can have a truth, and I can have a truth, and they can have a truth, and whatever your truth is, it's true for you. But there's no real truth, 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 because that doesn't exist, and that's offensive, actually. It's, it's very, it's a, don't talk to me about truth, because that's violent, is what they're saying now. Okay, well, guess what? <laughs> guess what? <laughs> it says, um, your word is truth. So as we sit in the middle of a culture that refuses to hold to the truth and who allows the world to have its own variation of it, the Lord says, no, no, come back to me because my word is going to be true. Psalm 12, 6 talks about his word being um, pure and refined seven times. You realize there is no, there is no compromise in his word. It is pure. There is no mixture. 
it is pure and it has been refined. So that makes it strong, pure, able. Jesus promises that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. That his words are eternal. They will go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And scripture cannot be broken in John 10.35. The word of God that I want to camp on for a minute is I want you to imagine the word of God as a seed. Because the scripture tells us this is, this is the key to understanding anything that God has ever, Jesus has ever spoken to us. He said, you have to understand this parable. So the word is a seed. To conceive and give birth to the miracle that you need. Does anybody in here need a miracle? Seriously. Anybody? Okay, I do. Okay, listen to me. If you need a miracle, this is where we're going to start today. We're going to do this together in community, and we're going to believe that God is true, right? The miracle that you need. So to conceive and give birth to the miracle you need, you must first plant God's word like a seed in your heart. Conception cannot take place without first planting the seed. You can't go to the store, grab a packet of seeds, set them on your counter, and stare at it and wait for a harvest. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> that's That would be crazy. We would be like, yeah, but that's my truth. I'm just going <laughs> to... Sorry. I have that stupid documentary in my head, and I just want to talk to these people. You know, well, my truth says that I can just lay it on the counter and I could just say, grow, be whatever, and it will happen. No, it doesn't happen that way, right? In Mark 4, the Lord taught three parables, which illustrates that the, wor what, that the word is to the kingdom of God what a natural seed is to harvest. The first of these parables, the story of the sower, is the key to unlocking all the word of God. You find this in Mark 4, 13. Jesus said, if we don't understand these truths, we're never going to get to any of his other parables. So let's just take a peek at it. So Jesus said to them, do you understand this parable? How then will you under not understand any of my parables? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is, is, is sown. As, as soon as they hear it, you know, Satan comes, he takes the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once they receive it with joy, but because there's no root in them, it only lasts a little time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they will quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and they choke this word out and they make it unfruitful like a garden with way too many weeds. Can you have a good crop? Or a field that is too full of weeds will not produce good wheat, right? Others are like seeds sown on good soil. They hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop. And here's the beauty of it. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what we're sowing. You see, there's potential there even in that, that you can have an abundance. There are many life-changing truths in these parables, but one fact must be understood to get the full benefit of his teaching. The Lord used the comparison of his word to a law of nature that is unchangeable. A law of nature, not an institution of man. Okay? You know, you can cheat 
and you can manipulate almost any system that man has created, right? There is a way, I mean, a lot of accountants make a lot of money for ways of manipulating the system so you don't have to pay them taxes, okay? There's loopholes everywhere. Lawyers, that's where they go, looking for the loophole, right? You can manipulate many, many, many systems that have been created by man. Our educational system can be beaten. We pass students that don't know the material, right? But you cannot, you cannot change seed time and harvest. Do you realize that? You can't change it. There is a law of seed time and there is a law of harvest that is a law of God. You don't get to manipulate that and you don't get to change that. You can say, well, I want this seed to germinate in two days. And if that seed is meant to germinate in two weeks, you're not going to, it's going to germinate according to the nature and the design of the seed. And you could say, I want a harvest now, but if it's not grown, you're not going to get a harvest. It's, there's, a, there's a process and there's a law. You know, what if a farmer was to um, go to his neighbors and he sees them, right? He sees them reaping their crops, but he hasn't sown his own. Regardless of how sincere he is or the justification for not sowing his seed at the proper time, He's not going to reap a crop overnight. It's not going to happen. The law of seed time and harvest cannot be violated. There's a germination process of the word of God in your life that takes time and can't be avoided. Now we're running, we're seeing something in our, which again, I look at this and I say, oh Lord, let's, let's look for the face of God. Look around us in our agricultural industry right now. What has happened because they have genetically modified seed, cattle, Things. What is happening to people? And when they try to consume those things, the, the things that are, yeah, the disease, and it's not healthy. And it's causing severe modifications in our children. I mean, the hormones and the things that they're pumping in, you know, we can see it across the board. We're violating a law of God, and we're getting sick because of it. Okay? You cannot... When you sow, when you sow the, the word of God into your heart, you need to realize there's a, there's a germination process. Okay? In the second parable, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, and he knows not how, but the earth brings forth fruit of itself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. You see, it doesn't go from seed to corn head. And as we're looking for the face of God and the nature of God, and as we can look at, at this process and realize, wow, Lord, the things that you are doing in me, there is steps to this. Okay, I need to recognize, and we can take a deep breath, and we can realize we're in process. It's not failure. It's process. Okay? The seed is the word of God, and the ground is our heart. What would happen if you planted a seed in your garden and then dug it up each morning to see if anything was happening? What would happen to that seed? Yeah, it's not going to make it, okay? It would die and never produce fruit. This is that part of faith. You have to have faith that the seed is doing what God created it to do. And we're talking about the word of God as seed in you. Beloved, have faith. Have faith that, you know, I love that scripture, what God has started in you. He will be faithful to bring it to the end, to bring it to the conclusion. We could say it this way. What God has planted in you, 
he will harvest. Your job is to be good soil. Your job is to allow the watering of Holy Spirit. You know, it talks about the word being water. Your job is to is to do the good the good part of receiving. You know, stay open. Allow the seed to germinate. Allow the roots to go down. Some people put God's word in their heart for a day or two, but if they don't see the fruit immediately, they dig up the seed through their words and actions. Well, God's not doing anything to me. I guess he doesn't really love me anyway, and it was all a great big lie, and I'm a complete failure, and I will never do anything good no matter how hard I try, so I might as well just. What have we done? It's like we've taken that spade and we've just dug it up, dug it up, dug it up, dug it up. Patience, beloved. He's doing a good work in you. Even when you can't necessarily see the harvest yet, you can believe in the seed believe that he is a good father and he has planted good things in you because he is in you and he is guarding that seed. And isn't it, I mean, let's look at the process of the seed. Is it out in the open for everybody to see? It's tucked into the darkness of the earth. And sometimes we go through those dark nights of our soul and we need to start, instead of bemoaning them and, and wailing and complaining and, and, and realize, oh my gosh, this is like, this is process so this is soil like god is going to be working in the darkness that i'm in right now and he's going to bring forth something amazing if i will just trust the darkness we don't have to be afraid we don't have to be afraid of that so first the blade then the ear and then the full corn in the ear that is our process it's my next question for you then can you see it How did I work? So remembering the promises and the words and the visions given to me from God, can I identify where they are in the cycle of growth? I want you to, I want you to think about, has God given you a word? Has he given you a promise or a vision? Has he given you something that you know that is from him? Where is it at? Just sit with it a minute. Where is it? Is it, is it just been planted? Has it begun to, is it still under the dirt? Do you see little green little green things sprouting up yet? Maybe it's in that growing process, which I think is some of the longest, because that's where the heat of the sun and all of the rain, and that's where the wind is blowing. You know, you feel like those promises in your life are being, quote, tested by life right now, and you're not ever sure they're... That's a part of this process. Or are you in a place where you get to harvest the promise that God has given you? That you get to see that 30, and is it a 30, 60, 100-fold, right? What do I need to do in order to steward over the word of God in my life? Have you just thrown the seed in and walked away? Or are you watering and tending? Have you noticed that it's up? Did you put a fence around it? Because fences are really important, right? Those deer love, and the foxes and the rabbits love our gardens. And even in that, God says, Find my face. What did I say? Put a fence around it. Protect it. Don't let those little foxes come in there and spoil your fruit. What are your little foxes? Where do you need to build a fence? Maybe you've built a fence. Maybe there's holes in the fence. Maybe the fence is inside enough. Right? What protection do you need to put around your life? Because God has given you a promise. See, when you begin to start realizing that his word is seed, you start paying attention to that, saying, that's important to me. I want to harvest this. I want to eat from this from my life one day. 
oh, church, we're not doing enough of that. The satisfaction that God has destined for you to eat of the fruit of your life is your portion. You're not meant to be starving to death when he's given you all of these promises and all of this goodness and all of these visions. You're meant to, it's meant to feed your life, to feast on it. And we have just kind of bought into this poverty mentality that says, well, maybe someday in the good by and by. How about right now, right here, kingdom of heaven on earth now, but not yet, but now. Okay, come on, let's do this. Let's steward. The third way that we can see the face of God is definitely in his son. John, John, first chapter of John, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he may have preeminence. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. All of God's fullness to dwell in his son. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. The fullness of God is in the Son. So when Jesus is standing there and saying, Oh, Philip, if I've been with you so long, that you don't realize that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because all of the fullness of the Father is in me. There are many many religious traditions that, that struggle with the deity of Jesus. They can accept him as a man. But the deity of Jesus is very hard to accept. And you know what one of the one of the main reasons for that is when you're in conversation with them is they point to the story where Jesus was standing at the tomb of Lazarus and he was weeping. This is what they use. Well, God wouldn't cry. So if he was God, he wouldn't cry. Jesus wept. That means he's not God. Let me tell you something When Jesus was standing at the tomb of Lazarus and he was feeling all of the grief, he felt that grief as a man, as us. He felt every moment of that grief. And he wept. And he was God when he said, Lazarus, get out of there. And he was man when he was hungry. And he was, he was longing for sustenance. And he was God when he took those fish and those loaves and he broke it and he fed 5,000 people. And he was man when he was on that cross and he said, I thirst. And he was man when he says, my God, where are you? Where are you? He was us. And he was God when he rose up out of that grave 
And he was man when he cooked his disciples' fish on the shore after he rose. He made them breakfast. And he was God when he walked out of a enclosed room and the fish didn't fall out of his stomach. You see, he is God and man. And do you realize, beloved, that for the first time since the very, very beginning that there is a human heartbeat in the Trinity? He didn't leave his body in the tomb. He didn't leave his humanity there. He filled it to the full. He didn't get rid of the things that said, you hurt on earth, Jesus. You were wounded, despised, rejected, mocked, spit at, beaten to the point of not being recognizable. He didn't make it pretty. He retained the scars of this life in his body because he said, that is my story. And it's beautiful. And it's powerful. And it's my covenant with mankind. And I'm not getting rid of my scars. That is God. And us. Right? In his son, we can see us. We can see ourselves. When we look at Jesus, we can see our story. Because he is our story. If you have seen me, he said, you have seen the Father. Jesus demonstrated the characteristics of the Father with every encounter with people. Do you realize that? Every time that he was with people, he said, let me show you the Father. No, Jim, no, let me show you the Father. Let me show you the Father, Daryl. And Elise, this is Abba. This is my Father. And he did it by washing feet, playing with children, feeding 5,000. He did it in every act of service. He did it as, as a merciful savior, as a redeemer, as a friend, as an advocate, as a champion of truth, as a healer and a teacher and a miracle worker and a way maker. That's the father. He says, let me show you the father. Do you need any of those things in your life? Look to Jesus. He is the Father, and that is how he has shown you the Father. He is that for you. He says, I'm a friend to you that will never, never walk out on you. Anybody had a friend walk out on them that they invested their life into, knew every bit of their dirty secrets and all of their joys, knew their ambitions and goals and all of their failures, and then one day they're gone? And that ache in your soul of, oh my gosh, the void of that. And can I ever trust again? Jesus says, oh, I know that. They all walked away from me. But I will never walk away from you because I am a covenant keeper. So you see, he is the father in all ways and he is us and he is our story. So look to Jesus and he will show you the father. My fourth question, what has the nature of Jesus shown me about the nature of of the Father. I want you to sit this week and think about, have you contemplated the nature of Jesus and what he wants to show you about the nature of your Father? Because they are one. The last way that we can see the face of God is in his people. It's not the last way, it's just my last way. I love the journey, okay? So, it began in a garden, 
And the, and the whole point was communion. The Father communed with his creation, walked, talked, visited, planned, dreamed, danced. They were together in the garden, intimate fellowship. And we know that the fall of man broke that. The intimacy of their fellowship was broken, and that was the heart cry of God. That's who mourned first. If you want to know who lamented first, our father lamented first. Adam, where are you? And then, who told you you were naked? Who did this to you? That was the lament of the father as he looked at his beautiful creation. His image bearers, Imago Dei, his image bearers, and said, oh, the enemy is trying to make you other than you really, really are. You are my image, and I'm going to fight for that. And the story begins. So then we find this heart cry in the Old Testament begins in Exodus. God says, they're going to make me a sanctuary, Exodus 25, 8, and they are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. And in 29, I will dwell among the Israelites and I will be their God. So the first thing we find is you're not going to, you're not going to separate me from you. I'm going to dwell with you. And we see the Lord's heart cry to be in his people, to be with his people. He's longing to restore what was broken. He's, and so he gives this beautiful command to the tabernacle and it was portable, right? Went with them everywhere they went and all of their journeys. He says, I'm not going to, you're not going to ditch me. I'm going to be with you because I love you. And I want to show you my face. I want to be with you. In Leviticus, it says, I will walk among you and I I will be your God and you will be my people. But remember that the word of God is seed. So as he's declaring the truth of you're going to build me a tabernacle and I will walk among you and be with you, he's also planting a truth. There's going to come a day. There's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when it's not going to be external. I'm going to be in you. We're going to restore this thing. We're going to get back. There's going to come a day. So even when you read those things, you need to realize God was planting his word as seed in the hearts of his people because he was going to bring a harvest. Jeremiah, at that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they will be my people. Ezekiel, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And we love the the promise of Jesus is again, he says, oh, harvest is coming. We get to harvest. It's been four or 5,000 years that this thing has been growing. And I'm going to tell you a harvest is coming of the word of God that has been planted. And he says in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him. And what we will come to what make our home with him. So what Jesus is really saying is if you've been paying attention to the word that was planted in the very, very beginning, there's a harvest coming in which God is going to dwell in man, and that is going to be restored. And I love it. I love that promise of Holy Spirit. He's just so that. We have the body of Christ, right? Jesus gives us a very clear um, understanding about, you know, Paul explains the body. There's many, many members, right? There's many members, many parts. It doesn't consist of one part. The people of God are not one part. We're not a head. We're not a little toe. We're not just one eye. He says, you are full. You are complete. You are made in my image, people of God. And you are my body. I will be shown in you. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. 
nor can the head say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker, they are the ones that are indispensable. Stub your little toe. Stub your little toe. Oh my gosh. Even there, the Lord says, see, as you stub your little toe and try to run that marathon, I'm telling you, I am in all parts of you. You're not going to see the fullness of my face till that little hole, that little part of your toe is, is healed and you know wholeness, that you know me, right? It doesn't work when parts of us are missing. We've got to have each other because the, the Father says that is me in the body, whole and complete. We need each other. There should be no division in the body, but that its members should have mutual concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. Ephesians 2 says that in him the whole building is fitted together and grows into a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you too are being built together into a dwelling place for God in his spirit. This idea of habitation is from the beginning. So we have this portable tabernacle. We know that the portable tabernacle turned into the temple. So what got to dwell with them all of a sudden became a place that they went into. And then we have Jesus. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and all of the fullness of the Father dwells in me, and I'm going to dwell in you. And all of a sudden we find we have another habitation in Jesus, right? But Jesus says, oh, but there's something even better. There's something even better, and you got to wait for it. And when the day of Pentecost came, and they were gathered in that upper room, and a sound like a mighty rushing wind comes filling that place, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they became walking, moving, living, breathing temples of the Lord Most High. And his presence was in them in full, operating in their body with signs and wonders following. He is in his people, so much so. Here's some fun stories. They would put people into Peter's shadow and they were healed. They put handkerchiefs against the skin of Paul and people were healed. Demons couldn't even stand to be in any proximity where they were. The presence of God in his temple walking around created amazing atmospheres for other people to encounter. The Father, he is in his people. And then you look in the book of Revelation, it's still not done. <laughs> so garden, portable tabernacle, oops, temple, and then all of a sudden in Jesus, now Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden you see that in Revelation that there is going to be a name written upon us and we're going to be made pillars in the house of God. So we will go, we will become this mysterious structural support to the habitation of God. What an inheritance with his name written all over us. The community of the Lord shows forth the face of God. We show the Father. And we do that by our gifts. This is my question. I want to click it because I'll come back. But he's given us gifts. We don't all have the same ones. And there is not one that is greater than another. They are all necessary. And it's necessary for you to be operating in them so that the face of the Father can be seen in his people. 
There's different gifts, but the same Spirit. There's different ministries, but the same Lord. There's different ways of working, but the same God. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Speaking in various tongues. Interpretations of tongues. It's the same. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit who gives them to all as he determines. The tabernacle of the Lord goes with you everywhere you go, and he has gifts to give. He's a gift-giving God. And you do show forth the face of God here and out in our community. You do. You, the people of God. You are the beautiful face of the Father. A community is meant to hold stories. We've got to learn how to hold one another's stories. To create space for one another. And we need to be that out into this community that we dwell in. We need to hold their stories in the way that Jesus held people's stories. Not as people of condemnations, condemnation and, and agents of destruction but people who are filled with grace who know the Father because the Father is in them. And they know that anyone can come to the Father that asks, where are you dwelling? Come and see. The ability to hold people's stories in such a way that when they are struggling, you could say, oh, well, tell me a little bit about what God told you 10 years ago. Oh. Or maybe it's just germinating. Or maybe it's ready to whittle its way through. Maybe you're in harvest. Let me help you. Let me help you with the harvest. Now that, that would be exciting. That would be exciting if we could celebrate one another's harvest. Say, let me partner with that. And we see that in the word too. God says, when he said, cast your net onto the other side, did he make them pull it in all by themselves? No, they grabbed. Because the harvest is so big. Pull. They got a whole bunch of people to help them bring it in. And they all shared in the joy of it. You see, we're robbing one another of joy, a lot of joy. We're not letting them partner in the harvest. Let's invite one another into one another's life and say, partner with me. This is what God is doing. I think that's where it gets to be a hundredfold. Actually, when it says some 30, some 60, some 100, I think it is those individuals who have partnered and, and that are in community with one another. Because you know what? There's more hands to bring it in. And there's more eyes to see it. And there's more strength to be had when we're doing this together. So my last question to you was, um, what gifts need to be stirred up within me that I may show forth the face of God in my community? What gifts? What has the Lord given you? I love that, that Paul goes over to Timothy and he says, come on, stir it up. You know, that gives me hope. Sometimes, sometimes we, the weariness of this life sometimes causes us to forget that God has planted stuff. He's given us good things. We need to be reminded, oh my goodness, let's stir that thing back up. Let's go back and visit that patch. Because I believe that God's word is faithful, right? And it's true, and it's everlasting, and it's there's no compromise in it. And we remind ourselves that if he said that, I can trust him to bring it all the way through. I can trust him. So I'm going to go stir it back up. So what in your life needs to be stirred back up? That you can show forth the face of God in this community. If I could invite the worship team to come back for me, I want you just to sit with these questions for a little bit. 
With whom am I dwelling? Where have I seen the face of God in creation? Spend some time and remember. Remember what God has said to you. What has he spoken to you? What visions or dreams did he give you that you've maybe laid aside? Where are they? And what do I need to do in order to steward the word of God in my life? What has the nature of Jesus shown me about the nature of God? What has the nature of Jesus shown me about the nature of God? And what gifts need to be stirred up within me that I may show forth the face of God in my community? Let's just take a few minutes and sit. Let's just sit with